The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Nice to see so many people on Sunday. That's um, sort of the equivalency to church, huh? This is what we have, we gather. <laughs> so uh, my name is Spring Washam, and I am a, a meditation teacher and Dharma teacher. Just want to check, can everyone hear me okay? Okay, good. Um, I've been practicing meditation pretty intensively and studying since 1997. And um, I'm also one of the founding teachers of a center in Oakland called East Bay Meditation Center. Kind of reminds me of this one in a way because we're also on a street corner and cars going by and lots of sounds happening. Sort of very community-based right in downtown Oakland. Uh, So... And also I teach uh, many retreats and workshops and classes throughout the uh, country. I travel a lot. And then recently, along with uh, Andrea Fellis, uh, her and myself and a couple of other were invited onto the Spirit Rock Teacher Council. So I also teach there and will be doing more there and then probably for a long time. Uh, so I'm really happy to be here. It's great to be sitting in Gil's seat, get some good energy. <laughs> uh, Gil... It's very precious uh, teacher and to me, and I know it's, it's all of you. It's really a benefit to have someone uh, like him to be sort of a sort of a guiding light. Uh, I'm always so inspired by his equanimity at all times. You know, I've checked him out on many levels. It's always sort of <laughs> nothing seems to ruffle him too much. So I, I uh, am inspired by that deeply. You know. Um. So today I wanted to talk about, this morning actually, I wanted to talk about a teaching that was very inspiring to me. I was on retreat for a month uh, in February, and I heard this teaching, and it just really spoke to me. And so I want to talk about the teaching tonight, I mean today, this morning. Um, And it's one of those particular teachings that's kind of like a cutting through teaching, from the wisdom school. So I always imagine when I think of wisdom as this Tibetan uh, deity, Mandrashri, who has a sword and carries a fierce sword and it's like cuts through delusion, right? The deluded mind. And so this, this teaching has a flavor of that. So you'll see what I mean. So I'll read it first and then kind of go through it a bit. So it's called the Dakini Speaks. So Dakini being an enlightened Um, sort of the enlightened feminine. So it starts with, My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion 
is exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. (laughs) So in some way that's a very direct kind of... (laughs) kind of shocking in a way, but it really struck me when I was on retreat and I kept reading it and contemplating it. And really what the essence of this teaching is, is impermanence. That's kind of the the overarching theme is um, how life is constantly changing. And the beautiful thing about insight meditation is that one of the biggest insights that are very liberating for people is this clear insight into the impermanent nature of things that we begin to see this on every level. And on some, on some way, it's beautiful. So I want to talk about this on two different ways. There's sort of a hard aspect of impermanence and then a soft aspect of impermanence. So what many people think of initially when they think of impermanence is think, oh, I'll lose everything. You know. But also they forget what they gain. Yes, things are passing, but also things are emerging moment to moment. There's always something very new and beautiful. And so when the first part of the teaching begins, my friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. <laughs> so there's a, there's a way in which we do pretend, right? Like we're all pretending. It's actually very hard to see the truth in times like these. Because the, the part of the mind that's very deluded is strong, Right? We're all for making this whole you know, dream up, right? And we're pretending it's going to last forever. Right? And there's a lot of belief and buy-in in that. And when things start to change, it can be upsetting. So it says, if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. So initially that can seem pretty dramatic. Oh, we lose everything. But in some way, that's the nature of life. This is sort of the bittersweetness of it all. We come, we experience, we dance, we have joy, things come together, then they slowly come apart. And so one of the places where we suffer is in that coming apart, there's that clinging. So Joseph Goldstein always says, clinging is rope burn. You know, if you've ever had that experience, it's very, very painful, right? So... There's a way in which also we believe that when things fall apart, that something is wrong, something's happened. We try to fix, all, put all the pieces back, right? It's like you break a vase, you try to put the pieces back. It's not the same, right? It's just a matter of time before that comes unraveled. So this teaching is pointing to that we do nothing wrong when things change, right? There's nothing that needs to be fixed. There's nothing that needs to be sorted out. Life's very nature is change. A powerful teaching when the Buddha was dying was around this idea of impermanence, was this teaching. So imagine there's the Buddha dying in Krishnagar, this great city, went on pilgrimage 
few years ago to this place, this big golden Buddha there, sort of depicting how he was lying on his side. And they said that there was thousands of students that had gathered to watch this great being. And um, at that time, Ananda, his cousin, and his uh, beloved assistant for 35 years, started weeping. And so the Buddha actually was meditating. They said, he came out of the meditation, and he said, Ananda, <laughs> I've told you, all is impermanent. And he had even told everyone three months before, I'm going to be dying in three months, right? There's this process to help them accept it. And Ananda, and he gave him a teaching on impermanence right there, like, Ananda, this is the nature, the body it doesn't last, you know, but still there was that shock. And they said that in the audience, many of the beings, they were like, oh my God, if the Buddha's going to die, what about us, right? <laughs> there was this kind of like a wake-up call, right? Like, I also could die, you know. There's a, actually a strange belief, uh, and there was an article, it was in the Harvard Journal. They did this um, random, sort of multiple-choice sort of survey to people, and they asked people, how many people, how many people in your lifetime have you known had died? So, you know, people write four or five, or, you know. And then that was some kind of question phrase that, do you think you will die? Half the people actually in some way answered no <laughs> to that. But if you think about it, that's kind of a reality. Like, it's so far out of our consciousness. It feels like every day, it's like, yes, we build out 20, 30 years in the future, or many, you know. And that's okay to do that. But also there needs to be a little bit of recognition, like, ah, yes, this is an impermanent illusion. This is like, this is the reality that all that can be lost will be lost in some way. But there's nothing to be, that's the hard aspect of impermanence, right? We think of loss. Pema Chodron writes this, she says, this is in her book, When Things Fall Apart, which was a very popular book. So as you see, everyone's going through these kind of changes all the time. She says, we know, all, we know that all is impermanent. We know that everything wears out. Although we can buy this truth intellectually, emotionally we have a deep-rooted aversion to it. We want permanence. We expect permanence. Our natural tendency is to seek security. We believe we can find it. To put it concisely, we suffer when we resist the noble and irrefutable truth of impermanence and death. We expect that what is always changing should be graspable, predictable. We are born with craving for resolution and security that governs our thoughts, words, and actions. We are like people in a boat that is falling apart, trying to hold on to water. So that's also a very powerful statement. We're like, people in a boat trying to hold on to water. But what would happen if we just let go? Here's the exciting part about impermanence. What if we just go with the ride? We let go. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please let's not be shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed. So there is this like fighting life, you know, when things don't go our way, <laughs> when a relationship comes together, it seems so great, and then maybe it shifts, right? And the people 
They go their separate ways. There's a way we fight life. We kind of throw ourselves on the floor, scream. No, right? As if things are being done personally to us. Like, why is this changing? Why are things different now? Why am I different now, right? Even looking at our bodies, people can feel betrayed by that, right? Oh, I remember being in the a store recently and at the checkout counter, um, and they were showing these old pictures. It was like a tabloid. I just noticed these two women talking. It was this old photo of Elizabeth Taylor um, when she, right before she died. And the, the women were saying, oh my God, look how bad she looks, right? <laughs> and I was thinking, my God, the woman's almost 80. There was like this betrayal, like, why did you let it go? What? <laughs> like, couldn't you have done better? But 80 is 80. You know, this is the day. It's like some delusion that if she drank enough wheatgrass and yoga, <laughs> that somehow she could have remained looking 18. I love that many of the friends and people in my life are elders right now. They teach me a powerful lesson. Uh, one of my uh, teachers, who is very dear to me, is 76. And so we were talking about this, and many of the conversations, even at Spirit Rock, the teacher was saying, my God, we're getting old. These are some of the conversations, like, what are we going to do, you know? How are we going to be with this? Um, and so this one particular teacher, she came to my house for dinner, and we are talking about this, and she said, yes, it's really shocking. And she said, I'm going to give you a, a cutting through, another wise teaching. And she took her shirt off, and she said, look at my back. It's bent. Look closely, Spring. I thought it was such an honor to be able to actually come towards her and like, look at, wow, this is the truth. So it's not just for some. This is all, this is the way of it. This is the way of life. And so I so appreciated that she gave me that teaching and opportunity, not out of shame, but look, you know, like this is the truth of things. And then she could laugh about it and say, wow, what a teaching in letting go, let me tell you. And there was some liberation, you know, there was a sense of being liberated, like a joy in her eyes, like, wow, this is the most powerful one of all. Can we let go to this idea of who we are, this form? So I so appreciated that. So we we don't act betrayed anymore. Right? We start to grow up in that, like, oh, this is true. This comes, this goes, this arises, this passes. Everything's coming and going. In your meditation this morning, probably many things came and went, right? We couldn't hold on to any of them. Often people come on meditation retreat and they have some blissful moments, right? And it's beautiful. And they feel at one with the universe and love and the whole body feels like light. And then I think, oh, beautiful, but don't hang on to that, you know. And they'll come back two days later. It all collapsed, it changed. What happened? Now it's the hell realm. Thoughts of my mother and when I grew up or whatever, you know. And they think, what did I do? How do I get back to that? Do I sit by the window again? Do I, I was very comfortable. I had only ate one bowl of oatmeal and all the bliss came. You know, and it's like, this is the beauty. Is like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. This is a liberating <coughs> teaching, impermanence. Nothing happened. You didn't mess anything up. 
This is the nature of reality. Things rise, things pass, things rise, things pass, things rise. It's very profound in, the, in this way. It's very mystical. The idea is if we can come into alignment, we can have great freedom in this. So impermanence is life's only promise to us. She keeps it with ruthless impeccability. So a few months ago, I got a call from the editor, Barbara, of Inquiring Mind. Um, You know, the Vipassana Journal. And they were doing a series on enlightenment. So she called me and said, "Um, would you like to do write a piece on enlightenment. And so I was like, oh, no, you know, that, I don't think I've had any real enlightenment experiences. And I, I actually started laughing. I was like, no, no. And uh, she said, no, think about it, please. We really like you to uh, have your voice and write something. And so I, I, I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, I'll think it over. I'll get back to you. But then later that day, I did remember this one time. I said, oh, so I called her back. I said, I'll write the article. I have something to write. And it was only 500 words, so it was very short anyway, so like a short piece. And so I remember this time where it did feel like an enlightenment experience around an insight into impermanence. So I tell you the story. I was on a retreat. A friend and I went up to, to a small cabin, and we were going to do practice for two or three days, walking, sitting in this beautiful location. And um, it was the first day, and we, we kind of had our little schedule and so forth. And we were in silence till late into the evening, and then we would do some Dharma discussion. And so he was on the deck. We were both sitting on the deck and walking, doing walking meditation on the deck. And then as he walked by, suddenly, it's just one of those moments where this huge insight came as I observed him doing walking meditation. And the insight arose like this. It said, hello, goodbye. And then I realized that, you know, here's my friend, and here we were in this moment, but it was very impermanent. It wouldn't last. And then I started to look around on the ground and the trees and the sky, and it was as if everything became hello, goodbye. Like everything appears. You say hello, it disappears. And then the flood of thoughts and memories of everybody I ever knew was hello, goodbye. Everything was hello, goodbye. I thought, one day all these trees, this cabin, all this will be gone. Hello, goodbye. And I remember as I was sitting there, I was just almost paralyzed. In some way, my body was very still. But I didn't even realize my eyes were flooding with tears. It was so poignant that everything was hello, goodbye. It's like the moment was hello, goodbye. Here we are gathered here. Hello. In a few hours, this will be gone. Right? Because like, ah, Goodbye like gatherings come together. And I remember I was just dumbfounded and I was trying to explain later, hello, goodbye, you have to understand this to my friend. And he was like, wow, I don't know what's going on with you, right? And um, I remember going home and this lasted for three days, this incredible, and I thought, this must be what an enlightened person sees. I remember being in Golden Gate Park and seeing a little mouse running by and a flower and being like, hello, goodbye and you know it was just so it was heartbreaking and liberating at the it was like touching like i so valued everything of all of creation that was displaying itself it's like ah hello knowing that it was impermanent and so i don't think anyone it's very hard to live almost in that state of ecstasy 
I could only describe it as some kind of... Now I understand when I have traveled in different places, especially in India, sort of these mystics that wander around and people think they're, they're crazy. I thought they must be seeing hello, goodbye all the time. <laughs> you know, and it's making them just like sort of in this state of rapture continuously. You know, to see that change, change, change was very powerful. So that was my enlightenment experience that I wrote the article called Hello, Goodbye. And, um, you know, obviously I went back to my normal state of consciousness, right? I don't think I could have taken it any longer. It was like so brilliant, so touching. My heart was just like so open. So a few days it kind of, I came back to my, you know, normal sort of state of mind. But the experience led to a lot more freedom, like I did let far less expectation. <laughs> ah, someone came over and did what they were supposed to do. Beautiful. If something happened, great. When it started to fall apart, such is the nature of life. Right? I was like less clinging. I was more much more free. You know, much more, much more free. And that's how these insights happen. It's almost like you're cutting down a giant tree and you have to strike many times in the same place. So we see these insights. We see these truths many, many times. And it, it takes a lot to kind of uproot the delusion in the mind. But we're doing it. So that's the beautiful thing. So to a child she seems cruel, but she's only wild. Her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. <laughs> so, so this is the true ride. There's also something very exciting about impermanence. So, so things are falling away. Also, new things are happening. Whatever your worst moment is, it's going to go. There's a lot of faith in me in that, that anything that comes now that's very difficult, I think, well, this only could last an hour at most, two hours. You know, there's some liberation in like being able to endure, Right? Like, oh, this is going away soon. And so I am less reactive to mind states. I know that. Less reactive because I've seen them come so many times. The storms bearing down, the house shaking, and, and then the sun comes out. I was like, oh, why was I getting so worried that the sun wouldn't come out? It always comes out. So there's something freedom that whatever problem that you're having right now, it too is impermanent. It will go. Uh, everything rises and passes. Another funny story. Um, some of you may know Sylvia Bornstein. <laughs> I really like Sylvia a lot. She's just so sweet and just so wise in her own way. She was telling uh, this funny story. When she was very young, she had uh, four children at a young age. She got married. She's been married to her husband her whole life. Um, so they got married very young. And she had four children that she said, well, that was what you did then, you know. <laughs> uh, and she had four children under the age, before she was even 25, she had all four of her children. And they were like all under the age of five at the same time. And so she said it was one of those days where she was at home trying to take care of them. They're all having meltdowns at the same time. And they didn't want to be picked up, she said, but they didn't want to be put down either. So there was this kind of dilemma of them just crying. And she tried every, and she's like, okay. So in the middle of the whole fiasco, she said, she got this idea 
And she's just got some yellow paint from an art project that had been like sitting out in her garage. And over her kitchen, in Hebrew, she started painting, this too shall pass. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course her children see her on this big ladder, like, what are you doing? And so she started to teach them their very first Dharma talk on impermanence. (laughs) I thought that was so wise. At such a young age, like without reactivity, she just knew this won't last forever. <laughs> you know, and to paint that over her kitchen that so she could remember that every day, that deep wisdom that this too shall pass, all these economic storms we're having and fighting and intrigue, this is all just blowing by. You know, it's happened since the Roman Empire from all the way up. You know, this is nothing new. <laughs> You know, and so there's a certain level of equanimity we develop when we recognize, oh yeah, this, this is the way of it. So the Buddha talked about these particular eight worldly winds, he said. He talked about them being these things that are constantly fluctuating in our lives. And I'll just mention them quickly as a part of the talk because we, we talk about this a lot with equanimity but really, these are the things that are the most impermanent. So there's sets, there's eight, and there's sets of two. So they, these are the sort of the vicissitudes of life. They're always constantly in flow. So the first one is praise and blame. So, you know, it's funny reading, even in the sutta, some people hated the Buddha. <laughs> you know, it's like, if they could hate the Buddha, hate all these other beings, surely we will get blamed for something, Right? So praise and blame, it's just kind of the cycles of life. You come, some people love it, some people blame you for it. So the idea is that these two things are always in flow, and they're very impermanent. Um, it's funny, the cooks at Spirit Rock, they have a practice now of uh, sort of the praise and blame board. So, you know, they cook a lot of food, and some people write beautiful notes. I love it. Thank you. That tofu was amazing. You just understood me. And I mean, really devotional notes, right? So they put it up on the praise side, right? Why did you put the garlic in there? I'm sick now. You know, like, then they put it up on the blame side, right? And that has helped them because they used to take everything so, because here they are offering their whole heart praying into the food, volunteering hours and hours, and to be criticized, right? It was like, oh, they would be suffering for them. So they started to use it as a very conscious practice. Like, such is the nature of life. Here's our offering. Some people will love it. Some people won't. So praise and blame. Success and failure also is a part. Sometimes things succeed. Sometimes they don't. Businesses dissolve. These things are always changing. One can't have it always on, on one side. It's like you can't always, it's not always the sun. You get the moon too. You know? Also, pleasure and pain. So the Buddha talked about this also being fluctuating a lot, that there's moments where it's great pleasure and physical, you know, and then there's times where the body's painful. You, know, you can even feel that during times of the day, maybe. Some people are more in tune with that than others. And then the other one is fame and disrepute. (laughs) So a lot of these are, you see, outward things in some way, right? These are kind of the external parts of life. So fame and disrepute. You see this a lot with people or celebrities, right? 
one moment everyone loves them and the next they're just hated on a very bizarre level, like just attack. You can see that with our current president, right? Just a few years ago, it was like, the Messiah has come and everyone attacks, you know, and to be able to ride that out is kind of, it's the nature of life. It happens to all of us. So this is a big part of impermanence. These winds blow continuously, blowing, blowing. Also, when we stop, she says, let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. That's a powerful one. So where do you make deals for safe passage in your life, right? So it's like by clinging, right? By holding on. We, it's like, okay, I'll keep everything safe. I'll keep myself. And then there's a, like a prison cell one enters in, right? There's something with impermanence where we sort of let go, right? We get a little bit more wild. Like, well, what am I going to do today, right? We start putting off, like putting off our joy even. Some people say, well, I have to do five more years of therapy before I can be really happy. <laughs> impermanence says now, right? Live your, live your vision now. Stop waiting. There's this kind of like, Waiting that we constantly do in our culture, I notice, especially in spiritual communities, like we're waiting for the right moment. We're right, right. have to wait, have to be careful. That's beautiful. We do. Some of that is necessary, but it's too much. Again, that is the feeling of safe passage, making deals for safe passage. If it's all going anyway, <laughs> right, how do you want to live on the planet? You know, if you really thought about that, people who have had near-death experiences or diagnoses, they live very differently, right? There was a certain wake-up, right? Like, my God, this is not promised. But we live making long-term plans, like, every, like you know, as if it'll all be like this. And so the idea with impermanence is sort of a wildness. Like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen the next day. It could be beautiful, There was a story recently in the um, Chicago newspaper about a janitor who won a huge amount in a lottery, right? So he walked in, there was a picture of him quitting his job, you know, I don't know, it was something like $50 million. And he's like, wow, life changes pretty quick, right? And it's like, (laughs) there he is in his new house, you know, it's like, we don't know what could happen. It's like there's certain wildness to it. So let's stop making deals for safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. So there isn't one anyway. <laughs> it's like, the truth is the truth. A friend of mine was this other Dharma teacher that I uh, work with a lot. He came to a meeting recently, and one of his teeth, one of his tooth had broken off, so he was all like self-conscious. He's not really even that old, actually. And he said, oh, my tooth broke. I have to go to the dentist. Okay, when go to the meeting, I'm going to go to the dentist. So he went to the dentist and got it fixed. Shortly after that, he came to a meeting, and he had, it was the same thing. I said, well, what happened now? He said, my other tooth broke. I cannot believe this. He said, I think I might be getting old. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I said to him, and then he looked at me really deeply, and he said, Spring, none of us is getting out of this alive, I've just discovered. <laughs> and at first we laugh, like, and then it was a deep moment, like, oh my God, you're right, none of us, you know, is. So it was just another, it was just a, a funny, 
a funny experience to have. So in the Diamond Sutra, one of my favorite suttas, they say, life is like a conditioned existence. So we are like a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. Thus shall you view all conditioned existence. So His Holiness the Dalai Lama often says that. We are like flash of light in a you know, summer storm. Just like that. Just like that. So we are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the <coughs> wild dance of no hope. So the wild dance of no hope. It means that we have no hope of clinging on to anything. <laughs> It's just illusion that we can make things kind of stay. The wild dance of no hope is that we just give ourselves to the present moment fully. Like, this is all that's real. This is what's happening. Can I rest in this? Can I make the moment, the present moment, my home? Make being our home, right? Instead of doing, thinking, we become, we be present. We are presence because that's really all we have. So I think I will end my talk by just reading one of my favorite poems, which has impermanence in it. Because on some level, when I had that insight so deeply of hello, goodbye, it made me kinder. It made me much more compassionate, you know, because I appreciated every interaction. I appreciated all the people in my life differently. Like, oh, I appreciated the beauty, the small interactions, the smiles, the flowers on the side of the road coming up between the cement. I appreciated. So it's like it awoke in me a tremendous kindness and compassion. So this is, um, you probably have heard this poem before if you've been on the retreat circuit. <laughs> it's by Naomi Shihab Nye. Palestinian poet called Kindness. She says, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hands, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness how you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating rice and chicken stare out of the windows forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian and a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow, you must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows, and you see the size of the cloth. Then it's only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes, 
send you out into the day to mail letters, purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you've been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So insight into impermanence can be very liberating, very beautiful. So I think we'll just uh, sit for just one moment together. Just let the words... Sounds arise, (laughs) they pass. Thank you very much for your kind attention.